so often in life, you have these moments where you're confronted with the truth that there's only one way to go about doing something. Now, what I'm not talking about are those moments when you're stuck in traffic, because if you have the Waze app, that app will work you through every neighborhood in Middle Tennessee to get from point A to point B. So there is more than one way to get to downtown Nashville from here. Not what I'm talking about. Multiple ways. Or how about this one? When some of you guys are putting together a piece of kids' furniture or a kids' toy or something of that nature, there is a population among us that just decides to shred the instructions and figure it out on their own. And you put together the kids' play kitchen, and you've got five bolts left and one little rod. But yet you give it a good shake, and it seems sturdy enough. And so you say, you know what? I figured this out. Some of y'all are laughing. I just saw some elbows. And so I'm like, I just got really personal for some of y'all in the room. Keep in mind, that's not what I'm talking about. Because there are multiple ways that you can go about doing certain things. There are these moments, however, when you experience it and you realize there is literally only one way that I can do this. Or there is literally only one path that I can take. And I was made really aware of this about a month ago when my family decided to take a little trip to Chattanooga. And we went to Chattanooga, and we went to Rock City. Has anybody ever been to Rock City before? Several hands. It's awesome. It's a great place. It's high up on Lookout Mountain, kind of between Tennessee and Georgia border. And it's just a fun place to go as a family. You know, we thought, oh, this would be great. It's safe outside, socially distanced. And, you know, there's gardens and all these things that you can walk through. And so we go do Rock City, and we had a blast. And we're meandering through the gardens, and we're kind of walking along the path of all the things um, that there that there is there at Rock City, and it is called Rock City, so there's a lot of rocks and a lot of rock formations and things of that nature, and then we got to this point on the path that was called the Fat Man Squeeze. Now, I don't know if you've ever been through this before, but basically what the Fat Man Squeeze is, is it's just two massive rock formations that has about a, you know, I don't, I don't know the, the width, but a pretty small um, width for you to squeeze in between these rocks. Now, this is, by the way, very offensive for those of us with larger girth, but that's a, um, that's a discussion for a later day. And I'm not claustrophobic at all. I've done these types of things before. And so we get through halfway through and, you know, people are kind of barreling down on you and you're kind of looking back being like six, six feet people, you know, please stay back a little bit. But I, I get halfway through and I, I really do realize that I was like, I feel sorry for the claustrophobic people who try to go through this because this ha- would have to be really, really difficult but we keep moving forward because there's only one way out. You got a crowd behind you, and unless you're Spider-Man, you are not scaling those rocks to get out of there. And so that was great. And then we meander over to the next element, which is the swinging bridge. Now, for what I lack in claustrophobicness, I make up for in not liking heights. It's a new thing to me. Somewhere in my late 30s, I just started not liking heights. There's no moment that I can pinpoint. There was no traumatic encounter. But as I have gotten older, with each successive year, my desire for my two feet to stay firmly planted on the ground has increased. And so we start across this swinging bridge. I have my son, J.D., who was two at the time. And we're walking, and I am moving at a glacial pace across this bridge. About 10 steps in, what starts happening? Starts swinging. And I'm thinking, I'm a grown man. I need to keep it together. But then I look over and I realize that the railing hits me right about here. And I look down and I see a bed of rocks below me. And I think, 
this is not how I intended my life to um, conclude. But, and then I realized we paid like $100 as a family to come to this place. Terrible investment. You know, it's just a whole, I'm just thinking it. And, and then I've got people, again, just like the fat man squeeze, barreling down on me. And so a new family has joined in on the swinging bridge, which made it more swingy and more this. And I'm quoting Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My wife and daughter are having the time of their life. Five steps ahead, they turn around right in the middle of the bridge and say, can you take our picture? And I said, no. No. I said, and I'm going to give you exactly two seconds to turn around and keep moving because I have got to get off of this bridge. There was only one way off, one way out. There was no turning back. There was no alternate route. There was no safe escape plan. There was no button that I could hit for a Coast Guard chopper to come and rescue me from this moment. Why am I telling you all of this? I'm not telling you all this so that you will judge me. Some of you are secretly doing that, and I say, judge on, judgers. I do not even care. Because this was scary. Why am I telling you all this? I'm telling this story with you so that you can begin priming the pump in your heart and your mind for one of the big ideas that we're talking about today. And one of these big ideas is a truth that we have to grapple with. And this truth, simply put, is there is a moment in life when we have to grapple with the truth that there is only one way to be rescued. One way for our lives to be made whole, one way for our life to be eternally secure, for us to have hope and for us to have meaning. And the idea of today's message is a controversial truth. Now, it's not controversial according to Scripture, but it's controversial according to society and culture at large, which means that it's probably a truth that we need to lean into even more so and to say, God, what is it that you want to teach me through this, because see, you and I live in a world where many people would like to believe or tend to believe or have been led to believe that there are multiple ways for our life to be rescued and for our lives to be made whole. But friends, if you don't hear anything else I'll say today, I want you to hear to this. There is one rescue, and that rescue came through Jesus Christ. And not only did he rescue you, but he wants you to go and be an ambassador for him so that other people can be rescued, other people can be made whole. And so that's where we're going to set our sights today as we open to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 2. It's all the way over pretty close to the end of the New Testament, and it's a letter of Paul, and Pastor Jeff talked about this last week, but this letter was written while Paul was imprisoned, and it was written to the church at Philippi, which it means it's obviously very relevant for where we are today as well, but one of the big themes of Philippians chapter 2, and Philippians, all of Philippians for that matter, is going to mean to live like Christ, to move forward with Christ, and how do we actually go about doing that? So if you have a Bible, I'm going to start in verse 1, and you can hop on a mobile device. You're also going to see these verses up here on the screen as well. So let's start in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. I'm going to stop there for a second because what is the first word of chapter 2, verse 1? Therefore. Therefore, I've said this to you many times, but anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you should always ask yourself, what is it therefore? When you see therefore, ask yourself, what is it 
therefore, because therefore is a connecting phrase. And you can't look at the word therefore and understand what the meaning is just by that word alone. It's like if I were to say to you the statement, therefore, kids need to wear masks to school. You're going, okay, I missed something before. But if I were to say, because of a rise in COVID-19 cases, therefore, kids need to wear masks to school, all of a sudden, you guys are like, yeah, I get exactly what the point is. It's the same way with Scripture. So to see what therefore is all about, you kind of have to go back to chapter 1. And Pastor Jeff talked about this last week. But in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul encourages us to stand firm in one spirit. He encourages us in chapter 1, verse 27, to strive together for the faith of the gospel. In verse 28, he says to don't be frightened by the opposition. In verse 30, he says, you are going through struggles, and you need to remain strong, and you need to remain a person of faith in the midst of all that. So therefore, because of a desire for unification, a desire to strive for the gospel, to not be afraid, to not let struggles define you, as a result of all of that, Therefore, now back to verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So see, Paul is very believable. Paul is very reliable in this moment. Why? Because he's writing this from prison, and he's telling us to uh, to remain strong. And he's, he's saying to the church at Philippi, you're going to possibly experience some of the very things that I am experiencing. So I want you to remain strong. Now, you could easily skip to verses two and three because verses two and three are what we probably know a little bit more about or those verses make a little bit more sense to us. But don't skip over verse one. Because what Paul is saying here is if you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort, if you have any sharing in the Spirit, if you have any tenderness or any compassion, then go and do these things. See, Paul is telling us, and he's telling the church at Philippi, I don't want you to just go do this, or I don't want you to just go do that. Don't just follow these rules or follow that set of instructions. He's saying, I want you to stop for a second. And I want you to reflect upon all that Jesus has done for you. And if you have experienced any of his love, if you've experienced any of his joy, if you've experienced any of his compassion, if you've experienced any of those things, then I want that to be what propels you forward. In fact, you see it here on the notes, but when I realize all I have in Christ, I should be quick to move forward with Christ. When I realize all I have in Christ, I should be quick to move forward with Christ. See, because of what I have, I want to move forward with. Because of what I have in Jesus, I want to move forward 
with Jesus. Some of us are not experiencing what Jesus would desire for us to experience right now because we don't realize what we have in him. We don't realize who he is. We don't realize the joy that he has given us. Go out today. In fact, I encourage you to do this. This is an exercise for you. I want you to go out today and just talk to people about who Jesus is. And you're going to hear some different things. You're going to have this population of people that believe that Jesus is just the ultimate buzzkill. He's just here to make my life miserable. Who can really follow all of these rules? I mean, he, he's just here to suck all the life, and suck all the joy out of, of life. That's how a lot of people view Jesus. If, if you don't think that that's true, then go talk to some people. And you're going to hear those kind of phrases. And then you shift the pendulum all the way over to this side. And then there's a population of people as well that when they hear Jesus, they think about a great-grandfather who just gives us toys and always gives us candy and always has a treat ready for us. And whereas the reality of who Jesus is, is he's not just someone who lavishes things up on us. He's not someone who's here to rob us of joy. Rather, he's the Savior, and he came to rescue us. And Paul says, I want you to understand who he is. And when you realize who you have in him and who he, what he has done for you, then we should be quick to move forward with him. We're in the midst of a 21 days of prayer and fasting here at Rolling Hills, and I hope that you have been um, sensitive to this season and that you've been taking moments to, to pray. If not, I would encourage you to jump in for the next two weeks. But one of the things that I've been praying for our church specifically over this past seven days is that we would be unified around Jesus, period. That as the church, that we would be unified around Jesus. That's what Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi to do. It's why in verse 1, verse 2, he's saying, I want you to make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love and being in the same spirit. Because what did Jesus say to his disciples? John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is so critically important. And Jesus was so abundantly clear. He took out all of the guesswork. He said, I want to let you know what really speaks to a world that doesn't know me. It's not the division. It's not the hate. It's not the being right all the time. It's love. And so that's what I want you, church at Philippi. That's what I want you, church here in Nolensville, Tennessee, to be about. This concept of being unified and working together and not being divided is so critically important. And you'll see this here on your notes. But I want you to remember this throughout the course of this week, that if I don't value you above myself, I will allow any number of things to be the reason we're divided. Let me repeat that for you. If I don't value you above myself, I will allow any number of things to be the reason that we are divided. Because, see, if I look at myself as more important than you, then any reason will be a reason for us to have strife or division. I want you to think about everything in the world right now that's dividing people. Woo. I could come up with a really, really long list. And you know what I could do tomorrow? Add some things that I forgot. You know what I could do the next day? Add some things that I forgot. I mean, we're divided over everything right now. We're divided over, should I wear a piece of cloth on my face or not? And when you say it out loud, it's kind of funny, isn't it? that that's causing strife and tension in relationships. Should I send a kid back to school? Should they not go back to school? And all of these, again, I, I don't bring any of these issues up to offer any kind of commentary 
one way or the other. It's just an observation. It's just an observation. But what's at the root of most division? At the root of most division is that I look at you as someone who is not as important as me. And if I posture myself to where I say, you know what, I am always the most important person and I always get my way and anybody who doesn't see everything exactly like I see it from, you know, opinions or whatever the case might be, the division occurs because at the heart of a matter, the heart of the matter is a person that values themselves more than other people. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to fight against that. And I want to help you to know how to do that. And so what was Paul's solution? What was Paul's solution to find traction in this area? Look at verse 3. He says, Do nothing then out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Two amazing verses. Two hard verses. (laughs) to do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vain conceit. That phrase, selfish ambition, is a pretty easy one to understand. It means that I'm not acting for my own gain or my own personal benefit. It occurs many times in the New Testament. That Greek word occurs many times. This word vain conceit, however, is a much more interesting word. This word only occurs one time in the entire New Testament. One time. And so when something only occurs one time, you can rest assured it's a very unique word and it has a very specific meaning. And it's a very specific meaning and you really need to hone in on that. And what kenodoxia, which is the Greek word for vain conceit, means is it means a state of pride without justification. In some ways you could say empty pride. You are proud and you have no reason to be proud. I kind of liken it to I gave myself the gold medal but I never entered the competition. I named myself the winner, but I never showed up for the game. I'm saying I am the best, but I have no reason, nothing to back that up. It's all empty. It's all justified for not, so to speak. What's the problem with all of that? The problem with all of that is if I always name myself the winner, if I'm always looking out for number one, if there's always a sense of empty pride, I'm rarely going to notice you. But who am I going to notice all the time? Ding, ding, ding. I named myself the winner when I never even entered the competition. So, of course, when I enter the competition, I'm going to win. I mean, I'm the winner. I didn't even show up. So, of course, I'm the winner when I'm in your presence. I, I, I was better than you before you were ever sitting in this room. So, of course, I'm better than you when you're sitting in the room. It's this empty conceit. It's this really vain conceit. And Paul's saying, this is a major problem because if you operate with this principle, you're going to rarely notice other people. And if I don't notice you, then I'm not going to take you into account. And if I don't take you into account, then I'm not going to be interested in meeting your needs because I'm the most important person not only in the room, but the most important person in the world. My needs are more important than anyone. And friends, that is just simply not what Scripture says. And you see this next point, and I hope that you'll be able to to really take this point and to flesh it out this week. But I cannot see, serve, and love you if I only see, serve, and love myself. I cannot see and serve and love you if I only see, serve, and love myself. Because when all I see is me, I cannot see you. And if I cannot see you, I won't serve you. Have you guys noticed that? When's the last time that you served somebody that their needs were completely out of your realm of understanding? 
When's the last time that you served someone without some understanding of what they were really going through? See, what tends to be out of sight tends to be out of mind. And that's why as Christ followers, we say, go, get your hands dirty. Go to various parts of the world. Go sign up to serve. Go sit down again now. I would have said knee to knee back in February, but go sit down with somebody eight feet apart and hear a little bit about their story and you'll be compelled to move and compelled to serve. Why? Because you saw them and you saw their struggles. You saw the things that they were going through. The problem with only thinking about yourself is that it blinds you from others. And when all I see is me, I place all of the responsibility for everything squarely back on you. And the problem with forcing everything back to you is that it flies in the face of what Paul says in verse 4. That one of my goals in life should be, verse 4, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. This has huge implications for the way that we live. I want you to imagine for a second that you're in New York City. And this is New York City pre-COVID. So people are out just going about or, or some other hustling and bustling area that you have been to before. And I want you to imagine for a second that I have given you a job. I have brought in 100 people and you now have 100 people and your job is to walk that 100 people through New York City, Times Square. You're walking them through Times Square. And so to make it easy on you, what I have done is I have taken a big piece of yellow tape and I have just went mile after mile. I've made you a path. I've laid down a path. I've laid down a little tape marker so that you know, it's just miles up on miles. I'm taking you through the theater district. I'm taking you through Midtown. I'm taking you right through the heart of where the, the ball drops on New Year's Eve, all of it. And I say, go, have fun. Lead these people. And I want you to imagine for a second that you're the person up front. And for a solid hour, you just start walking and you never look back. You're taking pictures, you're in the theater district, you're trying to win lottery shows for Hamilton. I mean, you're just having a great, grand old time. There's a don't walk sign. You just burst right through. And you walk for a solid hour. At the end of that hour, how many of the 100 people are you gonna have with you? If you never look back, I don't know, maybe five, six. I know it's not gonna be 100. Now I want you to imagine that you're the leader at the end of the line. You're the person that I have said, you know what, I want you to bring up the rear. And you're person 102 in the line. Leader, 100 people, and then you. If you're walking that line, how many people at the very end of the line are you gonna have? You're gonna have 100. Why? Because nobody's gonna get away from you. If somebody's slowing down, what are you gonna do? You're gonna speed them up. If somebody's wandering over here, you can say, bring them over here. Now, it still might be a group that's really, really separated and really, really spread apart. But if I'm just walking eyes only on me, eyes only on what's to come without ever looking right to left, without ever looking behind me to see who is with me, I'm gonna miss an opportunity. But yet when you make yourself last, who do you see? You see everybody. You see the person who falls down. And what do you do? You help pick them back up. When I'm up here only on my sights, with only my sights set on what's forward, I may have no idea that the rest of the group has boarded a bus and went to Connecticut. But at the rear of the line, you know that. 
don't tell me that God did not know what he was doing when he gave us these instructions about how to move forward with him. Because to really move forward with him means that I've got to follow the example of Jesus and make myself nothing. And make myself a servant. And allow myself to be a server of other people. And so Paul transitions in verse 5 to help us understand how Jesus did this. And so he says, do nothing out of vain conceit, nothing out of selfish ambition, but I want you to follow the example of Jesus. And I want you to follow and, and seek to follow the way that Jesus desired to live, the way that Jesus lived his life, and I want you to follow suit with that. So look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. These verses are what you would call in systematic theology, Christology. This is an understanding and a study of who Jesus really is, the person of Jesus. And what do we see here? We see that Jesus was fully God. But we also see that he was fully man. We also see that he made himself nothing and he gave up his heavenly dwelling and he humbled himself and became obedient to live a life, to be born to the Virgin Mary, to live 33 sinless years and ultimately to give his life as a sacrifice so that we could have life. We also see that as a man, he was made in human likeness, meaning he was exposed to everything that we've been exposed to. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. It's why Hebrews 4.15 is so crucial. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's not a struggle you've ever gone through that Jesus cannot empathize with you about. Friends, that's good news. That's our Savior. That's the one who's here to rescue us. So my question to you this morning is, when confronted with the truth of Jesus, what then is your response? When confronted with the truth of Jesus, what is your response. This is where most conversations tend to get interesting. In fact, I was thinking as I was preparing for it today, I, I kept going back to verses two and three, and I love verses two and three, or I'm sorry, three and four. I like verse two as well. But verse three and four, do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, and humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. These are not verses that tend to rattle the cage very much. In fact, I know several people who are very far from God that would consider themselves agnostic, atheists, and I'm sure that you do as well. Read these verses to those people and say, do those verses offend you? Most people are going to say no, because that sounds like a good way to live, doesn't it? I mean, secular leaders have made millions of dollars off of research that's rooted in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider other people more important than yourself. I'm like, I love that you think that was an original Harvard idea. That's a Jesus idea. That's how Jesus told us to live. So most people aren't necessarily um, too crushed or pressed when it comes to that truth. But then when we get to verses 9 through 11, things start to look a little bit different. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is Paul saying? He's saying that there will be a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, not that Jesus was a good person, not that Jesus was a great moral teacher, not that Jesus had great ideas, but that every person will confess, Jesus, you are Lord. 
As C.S. Lewis said, you're not a liar. You're not a lunatic. He is Lord. Every tongue will confess that. Have you noticed in your conversations that when that tends to be a part of your conversation, things start to get a little more dicey, don't they? Because what, as a culture, we, we tend to be okay with this belief that there's multiple ways for our life to be made right with God. In fact, I can take a little bit of Buddha. I can take a little bit of this. I can take a little bit of some self-help book that I've read. I can take a little bit of a political issue. I can take a little bit of goat yoga. I just threw that one in there to see if you guys are still paying attention. Just whatever. I can take a little bit of all these things and find meaning and purpose and hope in my life. But what Paul is saying, and he's reiterating the life of Jesus, is saying, know that life really starts to count, and you're really able to move forward and really to understand your purpose when you grapple with this truth of who Jesus is and how do I respond to that. There's really only two camps. There's camp one, which is the person who has acknowledged that Jesus is Lord, and it's probably a safe assumption to say that a lot of us in the room are in camp one. There's probably some of us in the room that think we're in camp one that really aren't in camp one. That's a sermon for another day. In fact, that was the last sermon I ever delivered pre-COVID. <laughs> There's some of us that are probably on a broad path of destruction. We just don't know it. But yet, Jesus says, here, you, you will acknowledge me. And so some of us have done that and we're living for Jesus. And then there's another camp that has never professed that and has never said that, Jesus, you are Lord. And I just need you to be reminded of this because these aren't my words, but these are Jesus's words, that every person, past, present, and future, will kneel before God and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Every person, past, present, and future, will kneel before God and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So what do you mean by that, Pastor Jason? Well, what I mean by that is a, just a reiteration of what Paul is saying here is that the Bible makes it really clear that Jesus came and sacrificed himself so that we could have life. It was God's plan. It was God's sovereign plan. And when you hear the gospel, when you hear that message preached, then we respond to that by professing our faith in him and asking Jesus to forgive our sins and asking him to be Lord over our life and confessing that he is Lord. That's the power of the gospel. And you can make that decision today Many of you have already made that decision. In fact, you can make that decision right here in this moment by just simply praying and saying, God, I believe and I trust and I want to confess that you are Lord of my life. However, there will be a day, and it's what we would refer to as end times, when Jesus is going to return to the earth again. And Revelations 1-7 says, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So the very people who pierced the hands and feet of Jesus will acknowledge who he is and acknowledge that he is Lord. Romans 14, 11, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. It's what Paul is saying here as well. So what does that mean? Does that mean then that the vilest of the vile person, whoever that might be, the vilest of the vile, the most evil of the evil, who radically opposed Jesus, let's, let's give him a name. We'll call him Vile Victor. Does that mean that vile victor will acknowledge one day that Jesus is Lord? He may never do that here on earth in this moment. Does that mean that there will be a day that he acknowledges, Jesus, you are Lord? The answer to that question is unequivocally yes. Not my words. Those are the words of Scripture. 
Now let's paint a little bit of a rosier picture. Somebody who's been walking with Jesus for a long time. Maybe it was your grandma. We'll call her Grandma Ethel. And Grandma Ethel's been walking with Jesus for 60 years. She prayed for you every day. She made a commitment to follow Jesus at age 15. And she has served her church and she has served the Lord faithfully for 60 plus years. Does that mean that there will be a moment that she acknowledges that Jesus is Lord? The answer, yes, because she's already done it. She's already said, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. You are Lord of my life. The difference between Grandma Ethel and Bile Victor is that Grandma Ethel is living for Jesus right now. She's experiencing this moving forward with Jesus, the peace, the hope, the abundant living that comes with knowing Jesus. Bile Victor, on the other hand, will acknowledge that he is Lord. And after acknowledging that he is Lord, he'll become eternally separated from Jesus. God and will spend an eternity in hell. This is not popular teaching, but as I said a few weeks ago, just because something's not popular doesn't make it untrue. Scripture says that the example of Jesus is who we are to follow after. So I want to encourage you today, and I want to ask you honestly to answer the question, when presented with this truth, how will you respond? Because Jesus really is the dividing line. It's not a militant dividing line. It's not a, um, it's not a dividing line that is a hateful dividing line. It is a loving, compassionate line that Jesus says, I want you to just grapple with the truth. And so this morning, I, I want you to feel the tension. I want you to feel the tension. I want you to feel it for yourself. If you're here walking with Jesus, I want you to feel it for other people. Because my hope and my prayer is that you have many people in your life right now that do not know Jesus, many friends, many neighbors. I want you to feel the tension of their eternity. And not that you can change them, but who does God ask to go and point them to him? He asks you to do it. And so I pray that you would feel that tension this morning. And that as a result of that, you would say, Lord, move me because I want to follow after you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. The band's gonna come and we're gonna close today with a song. And during this song, maybe, maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to grapple with these truths personally. And so I'm just gonna ask that you would have the courage to do that. Maybe there's someone in your mind right now that you need to just reach out to and you need to let them know that you are praying for them and that you love them. And that the teachings of Jesus would be on the forefront of your mind and your conversations. And as the band sings today, we're just going to give you a little bit of space. You can pray, you can sing, you can respond, whatever it is that you want to do. But when confronted and presented with the truth of who Jesus is, what's your response going to be? Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. I'm so thankful for what you're doing. I pray that you would continue to guide us, direct us, shape us, mold us. Make us more and more like you. And I pray that in this moment, if there's someone here that is struggling, or they're struggling with faith, or they're struggling to understand that you really have a plan for their life, I pray in this moment that you would make it abundantly clear. We're so thankful, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you for meeting us here in this place. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen.